0: Hey, y'all, it is Dominique, and you are tuned in to Season with Salt, a podcast by Dominique Bomonte, and I am happy to um, share with you um, a recording that I recorded some time ago um, in observance of uh, May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, but I wanted to share it with you because, um, in part, it's my experience pursuing therapy and thinking about mental health, experience with having a mother who's really is schizophrenic, my experience um, having a therapist, my experience as a preacher um, who recognizes the importance of therapy, and so on and so forth. So, hopefully, you'll take the time to listen and share. Um, with people who you love and who you know. Um, If not, I just appreciate you taking the time to listen. And I look forward to your feedback, your commentary. um, And so I hope you enjoy. So, May was Mental Health Awareness Month, and uh, we had uh, a really awesome opportunity as a people to reflect on the impacts of creating mental health. Uh, You can look at that terminology a little bit differently. Creating mental health, sustaining mental health, being concerned about the status of mental health, um, and just being aware of the fact that some of the things that we have normalized um, and socialized to be regular um, are things that we need to really be thinking about. Um, What has... So, first, I think it's important for me to talk about what has sort of grounded my thinking in the area of mental health. Um, Those of you who know me uh, know that uh, my mother, my birth mother, is a severe, severe schizophrenic, um, which, you know, over time and over the span of my life um, has been uh, a blessing. just as far as growing and learning and being aware of, you know, differently abled people, even when that is mentally but not necessarily physical. um, It has helped me to understand uh, the plight of individuals with mental disabilities. Um, In talking to my mother, it's been helpful for me like, to think through, like, the ways that interpersonal relationships impact our mental health. Um, My mother, she, um, for for as many years as I can remember, pretty much all my life has been a person who um, writes things down. Um, And I can remember at a very young age, like, finding notepads in the house, Um, where she had written down things that people would say to her. Uh, And sometimes the commentary, the comments that she'd write down would be positive things, but most of the time they would be comments that people said to her that were very hurtful. And I found it to be interesting, like just over time, over life, like how much the internalization of negative things that she heard, like impacted the way that she thought about herself, the way she thought about other people, um, et cetera. And kind of funny, but I'm a, I am a—I identify as an introvert, which is sometimes very shocking to other people, um, primarily from my perspective because they don't know what an introvert is. Um, but I would describe an introvert as someone who, um, gets a lot of positive energy um, and the ability to sort of maintain regular joy um, through being by oneself, as opposed to an extrovert who gets that joy from being around other people. So, um, and I'm also, I feel very socially awkward. I'm thankful to God that he has helped me through some of that. But some of the things that folks will be like, oh, you're scandalous, or like you did that is really a product of that. And they'll be in thick in, 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 in denial about uh, me being an introvert. But I mention that to say that uh, my mother... Um, who doesn't really qualify, uh, qualify or validate introversion versus extroversion from her perspective, just based on the way that she was raised and, and, and the way that she thinks, she's very concerned about my, Um, like needing to do things by myself or or, or, or spending so much time by myself or getting energy from doing things alone. She thinks that it is a product of loneliness and, you know, like she wants to hear me like doing things with other people, which is just kind of, it is my thing, but it's not really my thing, not for the reasons for which it might be for other people. So... I said all that to say that um, as the son of someone who um, has a severe mental disability or a different mental ableness, um, it's difficult to sort of throw or push um, the importance of, you know, mental health to the side. Um, I want to, like, push back a little bit, though, on this sort of idea that, like, we can like cure forms of mental disability with self-care and quietness and going to the spa and all this kind of stuff. So a lot of times like what those things really represent, going to the spa, like quiet time, uh, you don't have being around a whole bunch of people, with those things generally cure or, they, or what they do is they generally serve as a band-aid for much larger issues. And when we have these false um, ideals about how to respond to um, areas where we're struggling you know, from a mental perspective, like we really create like these systems where, like pursuing um, mental health and pursuing mental health professionals is is you know, thought to be something negative or stigmatized in a way that makes it like unaccessible to people. One of the ways, and I know this is a difficult conversation to have for a lot of people, but one of the ways that we have made the pursuit of mental wellness um, sort of Something off the table is we have somehow replaced it with the benefits of church membership, um, church group affiliation. Um, what else? Um, the, 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 sometimes we, you know, talk about the the Holy Spirit. Um, and what the Holy Spirit will do and what it will numb and what it will replace and what it will what do for one um, who is, um, you know, a person who is struggling in the areas of mental wellness. But I want to just, if, if uh, to, to, to really sort of clarify that, that idea, um, a lot of times, if we talk about people who have mental disabilities in the Bible, one person in particular was uh, King Saul. Saul um, was um, had the incredible pressure of being um, Israel's first king, and as Israel's first king, um, there came a lot of pressure with that. Like you know, just being the king of the leader of anything, and then having—I mean—the the children of Israel had essentially gone from being. Um, a, a nation that was ruled by God and they waited for God for judgment and direction to being um, at the scrutiny and direction of man. And saw was that man And if you can think about it, he had some nervous uh, disabilities. Now, he was anointed by God to be king. He was the person that God selected to be king, and still he had some problems. And there were some points in his time of challenge where he did have the Spirit of the Lord. Um, And the Bible says that his um, mental unwellness had gotten to the point where the only real thing um, that could— Um, Soothe his um, time of challenge was um, instrument playing from the young David who would later become king. And I mention that because um, I don't want us to um, get in our minds that mental health um, or mental disability um, is something new or that it is unbiblical or untraced or undiscussed in the Bible because it is discussed in the Bible. Um, Also, um, in line with the idea that sometimes we find um, ways to sort of put a bandaid on mental health rather than going um, to really get or to pursue the help that we need, um, I am reminded um, of the fact that um, it was not a one-time thing um, when David would come and play the harp in order to soothe the 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 nerves, if you will, of Saul. He had to do it so much that Saul was like, you know, this is a state of being that uh, that I'm experiencing. And so I pretty much need David to move into the palace so that when I have one of these episodes, like he's here to, to, to help and soothe you know what I'm going through, and so this the the scripture also presents this idea that like you know mental unwellness or mental fatigue or challenge um, is not a one time thing, right? We go through um, difficult things, um, and we are called upon, um, and you know, to figure out ways. To get through them, and so Dave was a person that comes to mind. I mean, there are a number of other people um, who talk about, um, you know, just the the coping and mental fortitude, and and I would just say also that, um, you know, the pursuit of 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 being mentally well, like. Requires a number of different things, and sometimes what we do is we'll say, "Oh, well, you know, uh, such and such just needs to rest, like you know, get some rest, get some rest." Um, but I, I, I think it's important for us to know or to remember that rest is not always the, 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 the antidote um, to mental. On wellness uh, and the reason why I say that is because if you are um, overtaken by you know mental fatigue and all those other kind of things sometimes the last thing that you can do is rest um, and so um, it can be very challenging and it actually can add another layer of anxiety when you know the things that people tell you are best for coping don't help uh, and that's why you have to be careful. You know, when we're talking about, you know, substance abuse and the misuse of prescription drugs and all of these things to um, help people cope. Like, there's nothing, um, you know, more difficult than to, um, you know, rely on something to to, to, to help you because it's said to help other people and then it just doesn't work for you. And so... All that to say that what I'm building up to and thinking about the most is, you know, how do we think about mental health and how do we think about mental wellness um, in our daily lives? And how do we take the stigma off of this idea that mental unwellness is attached to some type of sin or poor behavior or retribution or, you know, what you've, reaped because you've sown, you know, something. How do we get out of that mindset so that we can help ourselves and help others? And I think that's a conversation that um, we need to have. But first, um, let's look at some statistics to sort of get us um, in, 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 a, in a mind space to really realize what we're dealing with. So um, a number of um, the, the U.S. Uh, census... Uh, Bureau, um, as of two thousand and fourteen, which is about four years ago, said that um, African Americans um, make up about thirteen point two percent of the population. However, they, um, however, of those sixteen, of those thirteen point two percent, sixteen point two percent had uh, uh, or had reported a diagnosable mental illness in the past. And, and, and then let's think about that. That is, if you do your calculation, that's over 6.8 million people who have been diagnosed. And you know that sometimes um, we don't like to go to the doctor. And I think this is especially true um, for men. I think statistically, we could probably build a case that men are more, more less likely to pursue um, advice health-wise, even for things that they know are abnormal in their body. And we're talking about... Mental health. Um, what about those? So, some other things. African Americans, Black Americans are 20% more likely to report serious psychological distress than their white counterparts. So, more likely to. Um, report it, more likely to report it. And that's not necessarily going to the doctor to report it, but communicating like uh, uh, that they have experienced some um, mental unwellness. Um, African Americans living below the poverty line are three times more likely to report serious psychological, um, issues. And I want to also park here to say that this is a very telling statistic because what it means is is that there are a lot of people who um, may not have the resources or the ability to really talk about mental health because of their economic status. Um, and I think it behooves us um, to think more um, in, in a more focused way about how we will address mental health for all people. Because it's easy to be like, I remember this is just a, a side note, but it kind of goes back to goes to what I'm thinking. I had read um, a couple of years ago, maybe like five or ten years ago, some time ago, um, that um, that in a, a responsible citizens um, were the most responsible citizens, the people who cared much about the environment, so on and so forth, with these people who are buying hybrid cars. And this article, I don't know if it was the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post or one of them, but it was very interesting to me because it caused me to think about how, like, economically, like, there are just some things that are, Um, inaccessible to African-American people. And it's interesting because what this article was doing was trying to paint a picture of somebody who cared about the universe. At the same time, um, it was also um, not acknowledging the fact that hybrid hybrid cars cost more than regular cars. (laughs) And, you know, like, is it it, impossible you know, to be somebody who cares about the environment if you're poor. And I think that sometimes we forget that some um, services and opportunities are inaccessible to people based on how much money that they make and how much money that they have and how much money they sustain. And so um, if you're thinking about mental health, We've also got to think about how um, accessible the services are to the individuals who need it. And according to um, this this information, folks that are of low economic backgrounds um, are are struggling at greater proportions um, with um, issues um, uh, surrounding mental health. Another statistic, African Americans, um, Black Americans are more likely to have feelings of sadness Hopelessness and worthlessness, um, in 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 um, when when sort of put next to um, their white adult counterparts. Also, um, Black Americans are less likely than white people to die from, um, in, or, or rather, while African Americans are less likely to die from um, suicide as teenagers, black and African-American teenagers are more likely to attempt suicide than white teenagers. And that is 8.3% versus 6.2%. And this information um, comes uh, directly from um, the government. And so... I just think that we need to have some real conversations about mental health and mental wellness and mental disabilities, and I think that um, so many of our uh, so many of our advancements have come as a result of um, our community um, partnering. Um, You know, civic and social organizations partnering with religious organizations to really think through, like, how we can come together to solve the problems that our community face. The challenge now, and I think that this is sort of a clarion call to us, is that our religious leaders are committing suicide. Like, people who are responsible for the spiritual well-being of others are, like, shooting themselves in the head. And we've got to really ask ourselves what's happening when people who are supposed to be close to God, who are supposed to be um, um, really um, the glue that holds the community together, they are responsible for the hearts and minds and souls of individuals. Why are they taking their own lives? And Beyond that like who um, can they talk to who are who is accessible to them to have conversations about their mental health and wellness and life so the the the, the stigmas um, that have so long been for so long been attached to um, you know getting uh, mental health, um uh care and access are now e- e- e, uh, coming to a place where we really need to further consider like where are we at when it comes to mental health and 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 how can we talk about it in the body of Christ and that's a, of of particular importance to me because we're no longer dealing with a generation that has the sort of mental fortitude to just keep doing things, even though they know that it's not the right thing. Like, we just don't have that generation that stays in marriages that they know aren't growing or that are abusive. Like, a lot of people are, like, trying to find a way to escape the things that don't make them happy. And unfortunately, if we don't talk about... The mental health, like we're, we're leaving um, some very um, scary and harmful ways of coping on the table and not talking about other ways that folks can really uh, think through the challenges that they're having in their life. So, what do we do? Like, how do we have um, real conversations within our culture? Um, about mental health and mental health awareness without making people feel worse or without, you know, like supporting or substantiating some of these stigmas, you know? Um, One of the things that I, so for me, I just, I I can talk about myself because um, for a long time there are, um, I had a pretty crazy childhood and, Sometimes it's weird because it's it's uncomfortable to talk about it because I'm not trying to indict other people or make people feel like they didn't do a good job raising me or parenting me or mentoring me or what have you. But the reality is there's a lot that we experience we don't talk to other people about. And it it took me a long time to really um, feel comfortable opening up with somebody to really talk about some of the challenges that I have. And what really pushed me in that direction um, is really wanting to know, like, where in the world does this behavior, this thought process, these these actions, like, where do they come from? They don't align with who I want to be. They don't align with who I've been raised to be. They don't align with what I preach about. And I really need to get to the bottom of how I got to the place where I'm at. And I've heard my own pastor say on a number of occasions that, um, he's not a, a a counselor or somebody who can provide, you know, like therapy or or, or counseling. And he says that, you know, for his own um, protection, um, you know, because it's, it's a dark, it's a very dark world. Um, and so what we tend to do spiritually and spiritual spaces is we can only tell people what the Bible says and we can sometimes infuse um some common sense um in our in, in the way that we address issues, but we really it's it's really not safe to go into the deep end and do any psychoanalysis or anything like that. I'm fortunate um to have a counseling degree, um and so that helps a bit. Um but still I'm not you know, like a certified health provider, if you will. Um I know what the Bible says, I know what the book said when I was in graduate school. I know what I'm reading about now in seminary. But I don't necessarily have the ability to do any type of analysis on, on on certain situations. And what I found is that, so I went to a mental health professional and I talked to them about some of the things that I was dealing with. And as a young 20 something year old, like just as a young professional, somebody tried to navigate life. Like at first it took me off guard. I'm just going to tell the truth. I went to a mental health professional and I found myself doing all the talking. I'm like, Hey, wait, like, aren't you supposed to be helping me? You're supposed to be telling me what to do. And you're doing all the talking. Um, It took me a while to, like, really, like, understand that because I had been so used to people helping me by, like, over-talking me or, like, finding things that were wrong and, like, just immediately, like, putting their finger on what they believed the problem to be and then telling me what I needed to do. I was not accustomed to somebody who would just listen to me talk and one of the things that was abundantly clear to me as I was opening up and talking is that nobody had ever asked me to just talk and given me the permission to express some of the things that I was feeling without, you know, having to be interrupted or anything like that or without trying to, like, offer, you know, some immediate thing that I could do. And so that's the first thing that therapy taught me. Like, geez, Louise, like, I... Um, you know, am a person um, that is capable of talking through some of my challenges, like some of my challenges um, that I, I have overcome them because I've been able to clearly articulate the way that they make me feel. Um, and, and, and then I've been able to come to my own resolve about what to do. So that I learned that from, from going to therapy. Um, I think the second thing that I learned from going to therapy is that therapy is not a replacement of religion; it's not, and I, it 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 it's actually an enhancement to religion because what religion does is it, or what 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 therapy does, good therapy, especially Christian-based therapy, for which I've been um, fortunate enough to experience it really sets you up to ask the right questions, And sometimes those questions are questions that you need to be asking God. And we don't always know the questions to ask God. I mean, the, the, the Bible tells us that we need the Holy Spirit to make intercession because we don't even know what to ask sometimes. And so, but through therapy, like sometimes like we can pinpoint the things that harm us or that hurt us or that make us think. And then we can say, Lord, OK, here's the area that I'm now realizing that I need to be thinking more about. I, now that I understand why I do something, I need you to help me with it, Lord. And so, um, what the 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 therapy was for me is this opportunity to push me closer to God, right? Because when I could put into words what I was feeling and experiencing and what I needed from God, that's when I knew uh, that that if I was going to be helped, that there was going to be a remedy um, to my problem, if there was going to be a solution for my challenge, that it was going to come from God because the mental health professional was not trying to give me the answers. She was trying to help me find the answers. And I had decided that if I could find the answers, then I wouldn't have needed, I, I, I wouldn't need a therapist. But what I realized is that the answers are in Christ so the my 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 going um, to See, a therapist was not a replacement for going to church. It was not a replacement for talking to my spiritual leaders. It was not a replacement for me um, reading my Bible. It was not a replacement for any of that, but it was an opportunity for the Bible even so more to come alive in my life because I had to learn to trust God in a different way. And I had to really lean on some of these scriptures that I had been quoting for years that I could not identify with. One of them was that God is the God of all comfort. Okay, because I had decided that I had some discomfort that wasn't even biblical, right? That, that wasn't under the offices of God. I had limited God to certain types of comfort. And then when I realized that the comfort that I was experiencing, I was able to name it, then I was able to really talk to God about this. Okay, God, if you're the God of all comfort, then hey, what about this challenge that I'm going through? What about the aftermath of this situation that I had when I was a kid that I haven't really gotten over yet? And so therapy did not replace God for me. Therapy did not replace church for me. Therapy did not replace religion for me. Therapy like provided this opportunity for me to grow in my relationship with Christ and for me to get to know him, um, for me to get to know him better. And so I just, I I, I wanted to put that out there um, because, you know, I think— d- d- if we don't say that, then people will just assume that it is the opposite of, of really seeking first the kingdom of God. And and it was actually, you know, in seeking God that he, I believe he led me to even be thinking about, you know, seeing a a, a therapist. And Um, And so I just want to say that because it wasn't just like I, you know, like was like God ain't working. So let me go talk to some lady like, no, God really led me because there were some things that I'm thinking that he wanted to reveal to me that he had to use other people. And that's biblical for sure. There are a lot of instances in the Bible where God uses the prophet, the preacher, the teacher, um, the 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 sinner, to be frank, um, to reveal something that God has been trying to tell his people. Um, and so thankful for that um, and thankful um, for um, what he has done demonstrated to me through therapy. I had gone uh, when I first became a manager at a place of employment for which I will not name. um, I had gone to, uh, there was a series of uh, workshops uh, for new supervisors in this institution and um, I'd gone to one um, about conflict resolution. And there were a lot of things that I learned through the process of that, uh, those trainings, but I will never forget what I learned in that training because it really helps me to think through um, how I can best help people. The, the presenter um, said something interesting. She said that ultimately... Um, conflict um, is about um, or or the idea of um, addressing conflict is really about addressing needs that people have Um, and that really when we're in conflict um, we can really help ourselves by really finding out what do all the people involved in this conflict need Um, and I was thinking about that within the context of mental health and how we, you know, fix or address challenges in our family, in our professional lives, in our social lives, so on and so forth, our marriages, our relationships with our children. And I thought a lot about how um, we um, are best equipped to help one another when we know what each other's needs are. And knowing each other's needs, like, really requires some intense listening. It requires us to listen um, with our ears, but also with our eyes, with our heart. And I wanted to mention that because we're talking a lot about uh, mental health. And fundamental, I believe, to really helping people is learning how to listen to them and learning to work towards meeting their needs if we have the capacity, but also knowing when you don't have the capacity to meet somebody's needs, when it's too difficult for you to do that. And I submit to you that um, mental health professionals are trained to help us really put our finger on what our needs are. And if we can work to put our finger on the very things that um, show up as needs for us, then we are best equipped to be more mentally well and, and, and more mentally stable. Um, over the past couple of years, mostly the last, you know, six to 12 months, um, I have been um, struggling with two um, disorders that have a great impact on my ability to sleep. And it has been very difficult because it's not necessarily something that like you get up at church and testify about. Um, it is, um, for, for, for a long time, especially when I was in my twenties, I really didn't think that it was too big of a deal. Um, and what I would do is I would call it something that it wasn't. I would be like, Oh, I just work hard. I'm a hard worker. That's why I don't sleep. I would take this great, um, honor and like being the person that people would say oh yeah I woke up in the morning and I had 10 emails from Dominique that I didn't have before I went to sleep like I would take a lot of 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 you know that would make me feel good I mean there would be a lot of times when that would be like hearing things like that would just really float my boat and over time, you know, when people would start talking about the important, it was the discussion around self-care that really helped me to realize that I had a problem because when I would make the attempt to um, care for myself by creating opportunities to rest, that's when I realized that I couldn't unplug Um, or that I would try to unplug or go dark or listen to rain music or whatever, and it wouldn't work. And that, that, that admonition from other people against the experience that I was having when I thought that I was taking that admonition into consideration, like led me to start asking my doctor some questions. Like, why is it that the lights can be out and there could be rain music and sleep music and, And and lavender, uh, you know, oil in the diffuser, and I am still wide awake. Like, how is it that, you know, I can stay up all night and then sleep for 20 minutes and, you know, and feel like I had a whole night's sleep and then just be extremely tired at the end of the day? I just could not realize that. Um, I couldn't understand um, why that was my, my fate. And I found out, you know, through multiple appointments, like what was happening in my body. And... I still didn't talk to anybody about it necessarily, but the 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 responses that, you know, well-intentioned people um, had to my being tired or looking tired, like really started to make me, you know, it, it started to, I was going to say started to make me fed up, but it started to anger me. Um, it started, I I started feeling resentment towards people when they'd be like, you need to get some rest, you need to go to sleep because I knew that it was something that I couldn't do. And I didn't know how to communicate that to other people. And when I, um, when I seen my health professional, Um, and they started to talk to me about some of the things that I would be experiencing, like it was um, this opportunity to name what I was going through um, for myself, but also, even though I believe that God already knew, to have a frank and clear conversation with Him about what I needed. And I thank God because... Um, While I'm in the process of being healed, I believe that wholeheartedly, Um, I have not um, experienced like a time where I'm just sleeping all the way through the night, but it has created um, a sense of hope for me. Um, because I have been able to have open discussions about what's bothering me, especially when people um, make comments that I would, you know, in the past, not really respond to because I wouldn't know what to say. Um, and I just wanted to tell that story, you know, in transparency because um, sometimes the anxiety that we experience uh, because of things that are going on in our life are only um, further elevated by well-intentioned people that don't really know what's going on within us and we don't know productive ways to say, you know, here's what's happening with me or we don't know because we haven't gone to the doctor or whatever the, the case may be. Um, but um, there is a lot of, of healing, um, and, and wellness that comes as a result of even beginning the process to help yourself. Um, and it really starts with talking. Um, it starts with um, finding safe spaces and safe people, you know, who won't try to self-diagnose, who won't try to diagnose you necessarily if they're not equipped to provide you with the help that you need, but that they can point you in the right direction. they can say, you know what, like, you know, you, you know, it, it, you're, you might um, want to go and talk to such and such, or I know somebody who dealt with this and they can probably tell you what it was that they Um, and so I just wanted to mention that because like in, in, in the space that I am in now, like, I believe that God has allowed me to experience something so that I can help other people who would not, um, be naturally inclined to go to God, or to go to church, or to go to some, or to go to the health clinic, or to go see the therapist. That those would not be their first stops, but I believe that God is positioning us. Those of us who have had so many of these experiences that we've talked about today, they um, God is positioning us to be someone who is a safe space for people, and that not only leads them to the therapist and the professional but leads them to Christ through the therapist and the professional. And sometimes we just need to to, to talk to people um, and to tell our our story to other people so that um, they um, can be blessed, they can be helped. And so I have so much to say about this topic, but I think this is enough, 40 minutes of just talking about Mental health. It, a part of it has just been like refreshing and healing, um, because I know that black men and black male clergy. This is just these are just subjects that we just aren't talking about, and the more that we talk about them, the more we expose Satan who uses mental health as a trick. Um, And when we can expose him and when we can shine light in dark spaces, we are bringing God glory. And so I appreciate Mental Health Awareness Month. I appreciate the invitation from others to pursue self-care. And I appreciate that God is a God that cares for us, even in the absence of our ability to care for ourselves or to know how. And so one of the prayers that I have been praying is, Lord, help me to know how to care for myself so that I can be an available vessel for you. And I believe that he will do just that. So hopefully you've enjoyed this talk. I know it's been a lot of rambling, but um, Is from the heart, and I'd love to continue this dialogue with you. If we're friends or if you want to ask questions or whatever that might be.